coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Or in the same vein, they'll say, I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not mad. You can tell that they're mad. You can tell that they're angry. You can tell that there's rage underneath the service. But yet, I'm not mad. You know, and it's so confusing and frustrating because they're raging on you, but they're not mad. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. I've seen many people who have dealt with the effects of non-physical narcissistic abuse. And, you know, many people say, why isn't this illegal? You know, you can actually get a restraining order for physical abuse, right? But you can't get a restraining order for, you can't see it, but it sure does take its toll on you physically. It sure does take its toll on you emotionally. I've certainly been there. I've certainly felt the effects of it myself personally. So I definitely know. I mean, one of the things that it can cause in you is chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a very big difference between CPTSD and PTSD, not to take away from PTSD, which is very awful also. But the difference between CPTSD and PTSD is that PTSD actually happens to people when they've been exposed to one event, you know, a car accident or a war or something like that. Chronic post-traumatic stress disorder happens to people when they've been exposed to something over a long period of time, like narcissistic abuse. And what happens is it causes long-term effects on your body, long-term stress, long-term trauma on your body. And you end up really having, you know, autoimmune issues, kidney disorders, liver disorders. It can cause diabetes in your body because of the elevated A1C levels, the elevated stress in your body. I mean, when you have elevated cortisol levels in your body, it ends up causing a lot of havoc in 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 your body. You know, your gut health issues, your vagus nerve, you know, constant stress, your body is in constant fight or flight mode and it really wreaks havoc in many different areas. Your hair starts falling out. You can't sleep right. Your skin starts to look bad. You don't even see straight sometimes. You know, that's how it starts manifesting. But what are the non-physical signs of narcissistic abuse? And I'm going to go through them. And so I want you to listen to me. And if you are having these, I want you to know that 
this is happening to you, that these are signs of narcissistic abuse. Number one is that this person is isolating you from family or friends. And this happens pretty early on in a narcissistic relationship. And it's kind of subtle. You know, they'll start to say things like, why do you have to talk to this person on the phone? Why do you have to talk to them for so long? Why can't you just be with me? Why are you talking to that person now? Why do you have to spend so much time with that person? That person doesn't love you like I do. Or I don't really like that person. Or that person doesn't like me, so I don't want to spend time with them. You know, that kind of thing. And so all of a sudden, you're being isolated from those people. And now you find yourself away from the people that you once loved or the people that you once enjoyed spending time with, the people that you once enjoyed having a relationship with. And little by little, you no longer have a relationship with those family or friends, with those people that you once loved. You know, and it's 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 a strange thing. Right. So they isolate you. Now you're moving away from them. And they do this. It's a control issue. They want to be able to control you. They want to be able to control their kingdom. They feel insecure when other people are around. They they feel like your attention is on other people other than them. They feel your love is on people other than them. And they don't want you to love or feel affection for people other than them. That's why they isolate you. Okay, so that's number one. And and by the way, that's why I've created support systems like I have. And if this is happening to you, I have a free private Facebook group that you can join. It's my Narcissist Negotiators Facebook group. It's totally free. I also do have my inner circle, which you can join, slayinnercircle.com. So I invite you to take advantage of the resources that I have. That's number one. Number two is they uh, twist the truth and they gaslight you, right? So they'll say things like, oh, we talked about that and you agreed. Don't you remember? And they say things with such authority, with such confidence that you think, I don't remember having that conversation. And the first few times that it happens, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely didn't have, I definitely didn't say that. But you know, it happens over and over again. And you're in the relationship for so long that you start to really believe them. And it's a person that you trust if it's a romantic relationship who purports to love you, who purports to care about you, and oftentimes is maybe successful in other areas in their life. And so you think that they know what they're talking about. And so they twist things and you trust them. You think maybe they're right. Maybe we didn't have that conversation or maybe I did. Maybe I did say that or maybe I am wrong. And you really start to question yourself. And they project things and they start to say, you know, you're wrong. It's it's your fault. You're the one. Things start to be projected onto you often. And you start to question yourself. So twisting truth, or they say it's somebody else's fault. It was them. It was somebody else. Projection, defe- deflection, lying, denying, constantly twisting truths 
But most of the time, it's you. You're delusional. You're the one with the problem. Twisting truths, constant gaslighting, non-physical sign of narcissistic abuse. It erodes away at you. So you who once felt good about yourself, who once felt like you knew who you were, start to feel unsure, unsteady, unstable, non-physical sign of narcissistic abuse. Number three, hot and cold behavior. I love you. I hate you. I'm all over you. I can't get enough of you. Get the heck off of me. You're amazing. You're the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I'm repulsed by you. I mean, it's literally almost like that, but not always in those terms, but basically kind of like that from day to day. And there was a study done by a psychiatrist or psychologist named Robert Sapolsky from Stanford on monkeys. One set of monkeys were given a treat every single time they did something great. In those monkeys' brains, nothing happened. The other set of monkeys were given a treat sometimes, intermittently. They didn't know when they were going to get something. Those monkeys, just the anticipation of maybe they were going to maybe get rewarded. The anticipation caused the dopamine levels in their brain to rise to the level of cocaine. Not getting the treat, the anticipation that they might. And that's what happens with this hot and cold behavior. Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And That's what happens with these narcissists, you know, constant flooding, 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 showing up at your house or office, you know, whatever, flowers sweep you off your feet. And then the next day, ghosting you, not responding to emails, I can't stand you, you're so needy, I have to work, what's your problem? Hot and cold. And that's that's what they do, you know, or this withhold of information, private, I can't tell you things, don't go into my stuff, you know, that very moody, hot and cold. And that's that cycle. And then don't leave me. I hate you. Don't leave me. That's what causes that trauma bond. The fourth one is this invasion of privacy and no boundaries. And, you know, this is another one of those one-sided things, by the way. Don't touch their stuff. Don't even go near their phone. Don't go into their things. They'll absolutely go ballistic and berserk on you if you even go near sniffing their, touching their stuff. But they are allowed to break into your computer, break into your phone, show up wherever, and have absolutely no boundaries with regard to your space, your stuff. And even if you are like a professional, I mean, I'm aware of narcissists who will show up at their spouse's offices, even if they're doctors, lawyers, whatever, and there's confidential information around about their patients, about their clients that have nothing to do with their spouse, that they should not be seeing, that they should not be touching, that they should not be around, but they don't care because they feel like that spouse belongs to them. Or maybe it's their son, or maybe it's their daughter, or maybe it's their whoever. 
And if they feel like they're allowed to just barrel in, then that's what they get to do. Invasion of privacy, no boundaries when it comes to them. Like, it's all about them. These people are possessions to them. You belong to me, right? And and that's why you have to be so done with these people. You have to be so done. You have to create boundaries. You have to create boundaries. And that's the only way that you cut off that toxicity. That's what I help you do. That's where I come in. Because I, to- I totally know how to help you be so done. All right, this is my specialty. And the next one, number five, this is where it gets kind of scary, okay? Because this is where they can become malignant. And I've seen this. This is where sometimes you need restraining orders. This is where sometimes you need, you know, court intervention, jealousy, and accusations. You know, it can turn very toxic here. It can turn kind of even deadly sometimes. When when they can become super jealous, they start to stalk. They start to have become violent. But that's a very, very telltale sign of non-physical narcissistic abuse. You know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes people can be a little bit jealous here and there or whatever. But when they start accusing you, when they start really going a little bit insane with the accusations, when they start going over the top with the jealousy and accusations, it's not okay. And it's constant. Where were you? What are you doing? I want to see your phone. When they start tracking you. I've seen car trackers, phone trackers. That's not okay. I've seen them slash tires. Not okay. That's when you have to be so done. It, it can get kind of dangerous. Okay. So jealousy and, and accusations. All right. Phrases, narcissistic phrases that contradict their behavior. Say one thing, do another. It's like, do as I say, not as I do, right? A lot of lip service. And the thing is, they're very, very charming. They come on very strong, very charming, very charismatic. It's very easy for them to make it look like they're saying the right thing, doing the right thing. Oh my gosh, yes, right. They completely know how to persuade, excellent at persuading people to do things that they want them to do. And and they can get people to do these things for years and years and years, but it contradicts their behavior. And it can really cause cognitive dissonance in people. And so when you're going to negotiate with them or deal with them or live with them, especially if it's for long periods of time, it it can be quite confusing. It can cause you to be off balance. It can cause you to be off kilter, which is exactly what they want. They want you to be under their control. And that's why it's really important to be able to spot this so that you can almost start seeing it as a third party and go, oh, okay, I see what's happening here and not be so taken in by it. You can almost start looking at it as if you're an observer and not be under that spell, all right? So the first one is they'll say, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to argue with you. But meanwhile, they're constantly arguing with you. I'll give you an example. You know, you 
to say the, the most benign of things. And they'll, they'll be interrupting you. They'll say, why are you bringing that up now? They'll say, you're yelling when you're not yelling. They will not give you information that you simply asked for. They give you a hard time when you want to do the most simple of things. You ask about going to a restaurant and they say, I don't care and everything is difficult. But yet they say, I don't want to argue. I don't want to argue. Or if it's in the same vein, they'll say, I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not mad. You can tell that they're mad. You can tell that they're angry. You can tell that there's rage underneath the service. But yet I'm not mad. You know, and it's so confusing and frustrating because they're raging on you, but they're not mad. That's one. And then another one is, you know, I love you. But yet a lot of their behavior is not congruent with a person who loves another person. You know, a person who loves another person would not degrade a person, would not put another person down. You know, we care about a person if they're sick, for example. You know, when a person is sick, they want to take care of them. They want to be there for them. They don't act callous toward them. But then they say, you know, I love you. You know, when a person is going through something, they don't make sure that they're as horrible as possible. But this is what they do. And then they say, you know, I love you. They say things like, you know, if you're if you're not even on a diet or something, you'll be at a party and they'll say, oh, so-and-so's not going to have any. She's on a diet. Even if you're not on a diet because they they want you to lose weight or whatever. Oh, you know, I love you. Uh, you know, things like that. It's not loving. Or they'll say something that's super mean. And those, oh, you, you know, it's just joking. That sort of thing. It's, it's not, that totally contradicts behavior. The next one is, I'm your biggest supporter. I'm your biggest fan. But yet, they don't come to things that you're doing. They make sure to interrupt big meetings that you might be having at work. They aren't happy for you when you get promoted or they'll say you didn't really do anything to get promoted or that wasn't that great of a thing or, you know, they, they kind of put you down, they poo-poo it in some way. But, you know, I'm your biggest fan. I am the one who, who supports you the most. But yet, you know, what you're doing isn't all that great. But I'm your biggest fan. Totally contradicts the way they act. Very confusing. Very confusing. The next one is, you're my best friend. And you're thinking, how could I be your best friend when you treat me the way that you treat me? How would one be as a best friend when you're degrading this other person, when you're telling this person that you don't want to be in a relationship every other day? I could take you or leave you. Every other day is something else, but you're my best friend. But then the next day is, I don't trust you, that sort of thing. But you know, you're my best friend. It's so hot and cold. It's so all over the place. 
but you're my best friend. That's, you know, crazy stuff. They're like so all over the place. You're my best friend. The next one is, it's because I care about you. They'll say something or do something like, I gave you this piece of exercise equipment because you need to lose weight. And it's because I care about you. They do something that's degrading, definitely humiliating, uh, you know, and it's just because I care about you. I have a cousin who her husband gave her uh, this abdominizer. I'm sure it's definitely not on the market anymore, but it was like some kind of, she was like tiny at the time. I mean, tiny, but, and he was a massive, huge narcissist. And he gave her that for her 30th birthday. And that was, you know, her only gift. That was the only thing he gave her. It was because he cared about her. So that's the kind of thing I mean, like, you know, it's because I care about you. That's the next one. The next one is things have never been that bad. You know, they'll rage on you. They will go insane. One day it's the worst thing in the world. Their The relationship is in the toilet. They're recording you. I need to record this conversation because... You lie all the time because you're delusional, because you're a narcissist, this, that, and the other thing. And then the next day, I don't know what you're talking about. Things have never been that bad between us. You know, the relationship has never been that bad. It's like they don't remember because of the way their brain works. You know, they just, they shift from one to the next. They literally have a form of amnesia. That's the like super confusing part because the way when they treat you in a certain way and you're, you're still like in massive PTSD about the way they've treated you, they literally do not remember. And that's why they don't have any empathy about it because they just don't remember. The next one is you need help. And they'll say these things like they think they genuinely think like they're helping you or something. It contradicts all other types of their behavior. You know, you need because of your mental problems, right? And they genuinely think that they're like caring for you. It's so contradictory. This stuff is not okay. I just want you to know that. When you're living in this high and low all the time, it really can cause this trauma bond. It makes it much harder to leave. Overts are the absolute worst. The worst one. You know why? Because everybody thinks that they're so nice. And then they're in there with you, death by a thousand cuts, little passive aggressive things. I've been there. I dealt with it. I had a a covert narcissistic business partner. And on the veneer, there are the sweet ones, the kind ones, the humanitarians, the ones that everybody else sees as the good people. But they're the ones that behind the scenes are doing these passive aggressive little things to literally make you feel like you're going crazy. 
that's why it is so hard to get out of these relationships because you feel like if you do, the whole world is going to vilify you. You feel like if you do, no one is going to be on your side. One of the strangest behaviors that I've seen of covert narcissists is that being the victim is everything to them. In every covert narcissist is that they must put themselves into being a victim place. And that's what is so crazy about a a covert narcissist because many times people think of a narcissist as this bragging person, this person who goes around telling everybody how great they are. Many times when people say a narcissist, they don't think of a covert narcissist as being a narcissist. This is a person who is I'm a victim. This person did this thing to me and I can never get my way and life isn't fair. Those are the kinds of things that you often see with a covert narcissist. But let me tell you, this is a person where being a victim means everything to them. And if you hang around them long enough, you'll see that this is the person who will refuse to say they're sorry unless they need to do it because there's an audience there. For the most part, they don't apologize. I know of a situation where somebody, you know, showed up at a funeral. They didn't, they weren't supposed to be there. They only showed up there in order to prove a point, in order to do it as a manipulation tactic. This is what they do. They act like, what? I was just showing that I love a person. I was just showing that I paying my respects. It's this kind of plausible deniability and like, How can you question my ethics, my morals, my incentives, my motivations? You know, this kind of potential double entendre when obviously what I meant was this. What are you talking about that I, it was meant for a manipulation, that it was meant for something other than just that? When they know and everybody else knows that that's not what it was for, that that attention means everything to them. Number two is stubbornly refusing to do things you ask them to do. Even the smallest of things, it has to be their choice. They're so passive aggressive. If you ask them to do something, the answer is like they don't want to have to do anything, but they'll offer to do something. They want to have to offer to do something, but they don't want to be asked to do anything. Even if they would normally want to do it or they want to have to participate or if it's something they would want to do, but they don't want to be forced to have to do anything that they don't want to have to do by somebody that they consider to be the person that they think that they're being manipulated by or whatever. They don't want to be obligated to do anything. If you ask them to do it, the answer is just going to, you know, they want to knee jerk and say no. Unless, of course, there's an audience. Then, of course, they want to. Then, of course, let me offer to do it. Very stubbornly refusing to do things that you ask them to do. 
even the smallest of things. Number three, public persona, completely different than their private persona. That rage is always just below that surface. It's almost as if they they just can't stand you. It's like there's this boiling underneath them all the time. Public persona is, look at me, look how helpful, look how kind I am, look what a good person I am. But at home or behind closed doors or at work or whatever it is, the business partner, I don't want to have to do it. I don't want to have to be there. I don't want to be there for you. There's that rage just below the surface, that withholding of information, all that little stuff right below the surface all the time. I'd love to know what you guys think so far. Number four is holding grudges. One of the next strangest behaviors that you see about covert narcissists is that they hold grudges about something that you would have totally forgotten about for years, literally for years. And you didn't even realize they were holding a grudge about some that particular thing until it got brought up. It's just the craziest thing with them. Like I said, with narcissists all the time, you're either for them or against them. So they hold grudges about things for years. That's one of the strangest things about covert narcissists. But the other thing about that that's really strange is they don't even bother to tell you that they have you've slighted them in this way. They just hold it. So that's another thing that's pretty crazy. The other thing that I think is a strange behavior about covert narcissists is that they spend lavishly on certain things, but then they are super cheap about certain things. So you'll see that they will spend lavishly on themselves. They love to have the name brand things, but then they are super cheap about gifts and super cheap about tipping, super cheap about other things. So it seems really, really ironic in a lot of ways because, you know, you'll see that they really want to have the very most expensive shoes, the very most expensive handbags or the very most expensive cars or homes or whatever. But when it comes to gift giving, they buy the minimum that they can get away with or the minimum that they can get away with as far as tipping. In a way, they are the most dangerous of all the narcissists because they aren't out and about with their narcissism, at least with the grandiose, they tell everybody how bragging and boastful they are. The next thing about that I think is really strange about covert narcissists is that they are chameleons. You know, wherever they are, whoever they're with, that's who they pick up the behavior about. If they're with somebody who's kind of quiet, then they'll be more like that. They even kind of dress the part. I used to be the target of a covert narcissist and she used to kind of dress 
exactly the way I would dress. And it was super weird. One of the things that covert narcissists will do is they will stare at you a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they will stare at you because they're kind of studying you because they want to start to be able to mirror you. And that is because they are chameleons, right? Because they want to be able to take on your personality and become like you so that you will like them more so that they can start to love bomb you a little bit more, love bomb you when they need to. And remember, love bombing doesn't just happen at the beginning of the relationship. Love bombing can happen even during the relationship when they need it to manipulate you again and again and again. And the last strange behavior of a covert narcissist is the subtle put downs. They are very, very good at that. And they will work them in to the conversation when they need to. Something like, you look so great, you know, since you've lost all the weight. I mean, you know, too bad about the stretch marks, you know, but I'm sure they'll go away. I mean, look at you. You look so much better. Subtle put downs. They're very good at that sort of thing. Those are the seven strange behaviors of covert narcissists. They can drive you absolutely crazy. And if you are dealing with a covert narcissist, it is the most difficult thing to get out of. It will drive you absolutely bonkers. And so you will need help and support for sure. Make sure you join my free private Facebook group, Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung. And make sure that you get the help and support that you need in the form of therapy. How do they do it? They are so cruel. They're so awful. And today we're going to be exploring specifically the three most cruel narcissistic behaviors, the most destructive of them all, the, the ones that leave you like in the dust. And they have a profound impact on their victims and end up leaving their victims, or the, I, I, I prefer to say targets because you know, you can actually break free from their their grip. They end up staying as narcissists. You end up breaking free. And I, I talk about this actually in my new book, Slay the Bully, How to Negotiate with a Narcissist and Win, which you can get at slaythebully.com. If you go there, you actually get lots of really cool bonuses, by the way. Uh, but you know, what happens is it leaves you feeling emotionally scarred and struggling sometimes to rebuild your life because of how cruel they can be. So if you've ever wondered what lies behind that mask of a narcissist, which they deeply try to cover, which they want to make sure that you never get to see, then you are in the right place. So let's dive right in. So the very first behavior, which is just horrible, is criticizing and devaluing their victims. Now, sometimes they're overtly doing it, like, you know, you're stupid, you're awful, whatever. And sometimes they're more passive aggressive about it, you know, more like a covert narcissist can be, you know, where they're, you're not really quite sure, hey, what was that, you know? But they have a twisted way of making their victims feel inadequate and worthless by constantly criticizing them. You know, sometimes it's death by a thousand cuts. I just want to kind of go through 
a few of the examples of the way they do this. You know, whether you're in a professional relationship with them or a personal relationship with them, the the why it's so awful is the fact that they are grandiose about the way they come on. They love bomb you at the beginning and make you feel like you're so special and make you feel like you are the most amazing person on the planet right from the beginning right and then and then they they come and 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 smash you to the ground then it becomes you know you you're never going to amount to anything and you're not as talented as you think you are did you even take a look at that who would even ever listen to you i just heard somebody recently talk about how they speak on a stage and and their father said to them, you know, who would ever listen to you? Because, you know, when you were a kid, we would have paid you to shut up, you know? So something like that, like, oh, people are paying you to speak? When you were a kid, we would have paid you to shut up. You know, something like that, like, it's so hurtful. So, and, and these hurtful comments, they gradually erode at your self-esteem, leaving you to feel insignificant, leaving you to feel undeserving, undeserving of anything, undeserving of success, undeserving of living sometimes. You know, sometimes even, you know, people can ridicule your your hobbies, your interests, you know, like, oh, what are you doing that for? Why are you starting that kind of a business? You know, I mean, I remember even when I went back to law school years ago, I had three children already and I was still young. I was still in my 20s at that point. But, you know, I remember one person said to me, there's so many lawyers, everybody who's, you know, I know somebody who graduated from law school and they're bagging groceries. And I remember thinking, well, not everybody who graduates from law school is going to be bagging groceries. Somebody's going to get a job. Why wouldn't it be me? If you listen to these things, you know, then you can play into that and it becomes the neuronal pathways of your brain. So people can make snide remarks. You know, you're wasting your time with that. And People can demean you and and eventually exert control over you and diminish your sense of self-worth. So, and that that constant barrage of criticism can uh, lead to anxiety. It can lead to depression. It can lead to emotional scars that can take years to heal. Sometimes people never heal from it. And by the way, I have a whole video on how to identify a narcissist just from conversation. And I would definitely check that out if I were you. And and if you guys have felt this, give me a totally in the comments. The next one is withholding affection for leverage. So they're masters of manipulation and especially in negotiations, which is what I specialize in. And one of their cruelest tactics involves deliberately withholding affection. So let's consider a a couple of more examples to illustrate this point. In a parent-child relationship, for example, a narcissistic parent will withhold affection whenever a child does not conform to their expectations. So they give their child cold shoulders to refuse a hug or a kiss or completely ignore the child for days as punishment. And this emotional manipulation creates a constant sense of longing in that child who desperately craves that love and validation from that parent. As they get older, then they create these patterns again 
in their life where they feel completely unworthy and they might end up in relationships with people who withhold affection, where they desperately are trying to heal that in themselves by finding people who they think that they can love back to health. And they think that if they can get this person to love them, then it'll heal that wound and they never end up doing it. And you know, a romantic relationship, a narcissistic partner might use physical intimacy as a bargaining chip. You know, they might withhold sex as a form of physical affection, as a means to control a partner's behavior and force compliance. That's why they do that. You know, it leaves that victim feeling undesired and unloved and trapped in a cycle of feeling, you know, seeking that validation and intimacy from that narcissistic person. It's very, very sad. You know, the narcissist probably does want that affection, but they just don't know how to go about it in any other way other than in a way that's unhealthy like that. But the the problem is with narcissists is that they don't know how to go about getting anything in any other way other than in a manipulative fashion. It's very sad. That's why, you know, sometimes they lie for reasons they don't even need to lie about. And then behavior number three of the most cruel narcissistic behaviors is blaming their partner for their own negative emotions. And one of the most perplexing and damaging behaviors of narcissists is their tendency to blame their partners for any negative emotions that they experience. So especially when it's clearly their own fault. Here's some examples of that to shed light on this. So like in a work environment, for example, a narcissistic boss might explode in anger at an employee for their own failures or their own mistakes, you know, or if the if the company is going awry or whatever, everybody is is going to feel the wrath of that. They, they might berate somebody. They might berate the team, blaming them if if they're stressed out or if they're frustrated about something, even if it's due to their own poor management or their own decision making. That caused the problem. Everybody else has to deal with that. You deal with the fallout of that. Or, or in a friendship, for example, a narcissistic individual might play the victim card, blaming their friends for their own unhappiness. You never make time for me. And that's why I'm sad. You know, if you were a better friend, I wouldn't feel this way. You know, it's not the friend's responsibility to make another person happy. You know, this blame shifting tactic causes that other friend to try to make them feel guilty. And that's not right. You know, it undermines the victim's self-confidence and fosters a sense of guilt and self-blame. You know, those are just a few of some narcissistic cruel behaviors, but I think those are the three most cruel behaviors and some of the examples that go along with it. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly 
exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bestlife to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bestlife. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. The grandiose or overt narcissist goes about it in very overt ways, very grandiose type of personality, whereas the covert narcissist is is a much stealthier type of narcissist. They try to avoid that spotlight unless it's kind of a stealth sort of a way. They kind of go about things in a more of a passive aggressive kind of a way. They're more, a little bit more introverted and they they don't have that brash sort of personality that you generally tend to see with an overt narcissist. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I can just tell you that the best thing for you is going to be putting those boundaries in place, not talking to anybody, not talking to any of their flying monkeys either. I mean, because they try to, you know, put themselves in this place of a puppet master or whatever. And I can tell you that the other people around them don't see what's going on. And it's just not going to be helpful for you to try to remain in contact with them or the other people in their world. It's better for you to try to cut ties with as many people that are close to that narcissist as possible too, for your own sake, your own sanity, your own soul. And now we return to today's show. How to identify a narcissist from conversation. Eight ways, telltale signs that you're talking to somebody and you're like, 
Yeah, that person's definitely a narcissist. And it's not what you might think. It's not saying something good about themselves, okay? Just because somebody says, I'm good at something or yeah, I did a good job. That does not make that person a narcissist. That's okay. It's all right if somebody says something good about themselves. Actually, we should encourage people to say something good about themselves. A narcissist is a person who actually, you know, they're, they're a self-centered person. It's never about anybody else other than themselves. Okay. So this is a person who number one, probably interrupts a lot. The other person is talking and literally mid-sentence, they're just so completely oblivious to the fact that another person is talking, they just start interrupting and, and they don't even realize that the other person is talking. They don't go, oh, I'm sorry, I, you were saying something, go ahead or whatever. They just start talking. And especially, you know, if it's like early on in the relationship or something like that, and just let the other person just go, especially if they're just mostly talking about themselves or, you know, something in their own lives or whatever, that's like definitely a telltale sign. Number one, they interrupt a lot. Number two is they never stop talking about themselves. They're just during an early phase of the relationship, you should be hearing questions about you. Tell me about you. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your job. The person should be interested in, or at least feign interest in you. This is a person who like, if all they can't do is to talk about themselves, you know, you might as well be a piece of furniture on the other side of the table. That's going to be a problem. Okay. They don't stop talking about themselves. The next one is they don't even stop to ask about you. I've noticed this even long into relationships with people sometimes. I remember having a client one time who was always, um, you know, a fixture, basically. He became a fixture in our office because he was just so wrapped up in his case and he was, you know, so worried about his kids all the time. And he was a, a likable guy in a lot of ways. And he became, you know, really close to one of my paralegals. He became really close to one of my associates. My whole staff got to know him pretty well because, you know, his case was like going on forever and everybody got to, you know, be a part of it. But then one of my paralegals said, you know, I just kind of noticed that you know, he was never really interested in anybody else other than himself. Like he never really asked about what was going on in any of our lives. He never asked about me or my kids or anything like that. And, and, you know, she just got kind of got tired of it because she just felt like he didn't really care about anybody but himself. And so she just you know, eventually when the case was over, the guy, I guess, thought that he was going to become friends with our paralegal or some of the other staff or whatever. And she was just like, ah, now I just feel like he's just too self-centered. You know, you know, it was like one thing when the case was going because obviously everything was about him, but she just said like, even when the case wrapped up, he still continued to not be interested in anybody but himself. So, you know, if a person doesn't ever stop to ask about you, that could be a really big red flag. 
Or maybe number four, maybe they do stop to ask about you, but they don't stop to listen to the answer or they're not interested in the answer. I know I've definitely been at cocktail parties or barbecues or social functions where somebody has asked me, you know, how are things at work or whatever, you know, how's everything? And then I start to answer them and then they start looking at their phone. Or they start looking around and, you know, maybe there's somebody you're looking for somebody more interesting to talk to, or they're kind of half listening to the answer or, and you start going, well, you know, maybe it's not all that interesting. Like, you don't really care about like answering a question because they're not really all that interested in hearing about it anyway. So whatever. Like if, if somebody asks about, you or what's going on and then they don't really listen to the answer or they're not interested or maybe they just sort of kind of like interrupt the answer halfway through then that's another uh, part of it too that might be a telltale sign that the person is a narcissist number five is constant criticism constant criticism of others they're just judgy these are super judgy people they're just oh, this person is that this person is that my ex was this he's constantly wanting to like talk about other people everybody is a problem constantly criticizing other people you know that just is low vibrational energy and that is just a no zone for me at this point in my life anymore. I don't feel like having it around. No, I want good people in my life. High vibration people, happy people. So if if that's something that you're happening, then I'm thinking that's a, not a good person. Another sign. Number six is gaslighting. They're, they're talking and they're saying something and they literally just said something to make you crazy. So I had the funniest conversation with somebody recently. He was a friend of mine who happens to be Chinese and he was talking about how his grandma literally it's a funny, funny gaslighting example where he was saying that his grandma got in a car accident and she was kind of like gaslighting the person that she hit because it happened to be like a 16 year old where it was like basically her fault. And she got out and she was like, it's okay. You know, you're an inexperienced driver, like basically like trying to make it seem like it was his fault. Obviously, I don't think his grandma is a narcissist, but I don't know. But, you know, basically gaslighting the other person, like that's a way to identify a narcissist from conversation. Like trying to make the other person think they're crazy. Number seven is lack of interest in others. Like they're just not interested in anyone else either. So, you know, I've been talking about not interested in you or the other person, like whoever it is that they're talking to, but they're just not really interested in anyone else either. They're just only interested in themselves. So that's number seven. And number eight, inability to accept any form of criticism at all. And, and, even like the slightest thing, they sometimes they, they take things as slights or criticisms that aren't slights or criticism. When you're saying something about them, they take things as slights or criticisms that actually aren't. There's a discrepancy in the bill 
at the restaurant or something and they take that as like personal affront or something. I mean, I remember being with some a family member one time who was dating somebody who was, you know, a little bit crazy. And the person was like upset because they didn't get as many French fries as other people. And they take that as like a personal affront. Things that are like, they just see things that aren't there kinds of, uh, of things, you know. So inability to take slights or criticisms, that can be a massive, huge problem. And you can identify narcissists that way as well. I have been there going crazy and wondering what in the heck is going on. I did not realize that there was such a thing as a covert narcissist. I thought narcissists were loud, bragging people, people who would boast and tell everybody how great they are, people who would go around demanding the best tables in restaurants or people who were, you know, men who were misogynistic. I really did not realize that there was such a thing as a covert narcissist, a person who could actually be a female, for example. When I was in a situation where I was in a business partnership with somebody who was female, for one thing, I found myself going crazy and feeling really bad with this person. And this is after I'd had my law practice with a very successful attorney. I've been recognized by US News as one of the best lawyers in America. I mean, had a career. I was so confused about what was going on. I didn't realize that this could person could be a narcissist until somebody had actually pointed out to me that that's what this person was. And so I, I think it's important for you to also understand what the differences are between a covert and an overt narcissist. I mean, they're both narcissistic, meaning that they have these underlying feelings of emptiness inside. They don't feel any sort of value inside. They're trying to get all their feeling of value from external sources but they go about it in very, very different ways. The grandiose or overt narcissist goes about it in very overt ways, very grandiose type of personality. Whereas the covert narcissist is, is a much stealthier type of narcissist. They try to avoid that spotlight and unless it's kind of a stealth sort of a way. They kind of go about things in a more of a passive aggressive kind of a way. They're more a little bit more introverted and they, they don't have that brash sort of personality that you generally tend to see with an overt narcissist. And they don't want to risk any sort of public humiliation. It's more of a victim-y sort of personality. And that's that's what you sort of see with a, a covert narcissist. I mean, I remember thinking, oh, I don't think this person is a narcissist. I think they're just really, really insecure which is true. So number one, number one thing that you're going to see with a covert narcissist is you're going to see this as a person who is very passive aggressive. You know, they're, they're going to criticize from the sidelines. They're going to judge from the sidelines. 
but they're more passive aggressive, meaning they'll maybe agree to do things. They're agreeable from outside, but they're criticizing on the inside. Like everybody thinks that they're super nice. They smile a lot. Oh yes, absolutely. I will do that thing. But then they maybe just don't follow through. They just don't do it. Or they might inadvertently leave you off of that email at work. Oh, I thought I put you on there. I didn't mean to leave you off. You know, it's very passive aggressive types of things where you're you're finding yourself, should I say something? Should I not? That's the sort of thing you'll see with a covert narcissist. Not overt in your face, covert. Second thing that you're going to see with them is that they're very condescending. They act superior, but again, underlying, very underlying. They'll belittle you in a covert sort of a way. Oh, that's so great that you've lost all that weight. I mean, too bad about the stretch marks, but I mean, my gosh, so great that you you did that. You know, kind of condescending, sort of superior, often a little bit sarcastic, belittling you, but just under the surface. It's, I'm, I'm so nice. I look at, I just gave you a compliment. I'm so sorry if you took it that way. They've always kind of got this plausible deniability right there. They're very good at just skimming that surface of being able to deny that they did anything wrong right there. The next thing is they're very, very threatened by direct questioning or direct honesty. I know that I've been in situations like this with covert narcissists. And, you know, when you go directly to them and you ask them pointed questions about something that, why didn't you do this or what's going on with this? That's when they become like the victim. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would question me. And they might start crying if they're a female. This is when it becomes about them and they become, I can't believe you question my honesty or something like that. They're very, very threatened when you start directly questioning them on anything. The next thing is they they swing very much between with the person that they idealize. They swing very much between like they think this person is fantastic and then they also are putting this person down. It's like they think the person is ideal and they put them on a pedestal, but then they also are devaluing them in some way. And it's it's very, very, very confusing. Clearly, number five, their public image is totally different than the person that they are behind closed doors. Person that they want everybody to see is oftentimes a humanitarian. They're the first person to show up when somebody is sick. They're the first person that shows up at the hospital or 
They, they send the baskets, you know, they make sure that their public image is absolutely pristine. You know, many times these people are clergy, they're doctors, they're nurses, they're attorneys, you know, they're very good people. The majority of the people see them as that person. Many times the only person who knows them to be this covert narcissist is their target or just the few people that they target. It's definitely quite different. The next thing is that they often are quite unreasonable with what what their expectations are of people, especially their people that they target, you know, whoever it is their person is. That's number six. Number seven is that whatever your issues are become their reason for being a victim. You know, for example, they didn't do something that you, that they were supposed to do. And so you question them about that. Well, then that becomes their drama about it. They had a funeral, they had a this, they had a that. And now it's whatever it is, it's much, much bigger. And then the fact that you attack them about it, it makes you the bad person. And then you end up basically apologizing to them. And so your issue never even gets addressed. And in fact, you feel bad about it. The next thing is number eight is that they use other people's vulnerabilities. I'm trying not to use certain situations that I know so well in my life because I don't want the narcissist in my life to come knocking on my door again. But so for example, if they see that if so, that somebody is sick, they will go show up to that situation and make sure that they are seen doing all the things that they need to be seen doing in that situation. But, you know, if if there's not an audience, then they won't be there. You know, they like to use other people's vulnerabilities for, for their own use. The next thing is extremely, extremely reactive to any kind of criticism. Highly, highly easily slighted, highly easily reactive to criticism. They cannot take any sort of criticism whatsoever. The next thing is that they oftentimes fake illnesses, fake injuries. I know some that are often chronically ill or chronically injured because they get attention for that. They get attention from not just their spouse, but they also get attention from others in the community or people around them. And so they are just chronically sick so that they can get people to have sympathy for them. Covert narcissists like to be the victim. You know, sometimes they're even called the vulnerable narcissist because a lot of times they can be downtrodden or that sort of thing. You know, it's it's sad. Honestly, it's so sad. And honestly, you have to be sad for them because that's how they live. They will honestly, many times, 
compromise a relationship with their own family members in order to continue to get attention from others because they would rather have that. So the next one is they will stonewall people. In other words, they will just stop talking to people completely. If that is what they need to do, then that is what they will need to do. The next one is they completely have no introspection whatsoever, no self-awareness, no like, let me take a look at my behavior. Let me take a look at how I need to be responsible for how I might have caused hurt or harm to this person and might need to apologize to this person and really have empathy for that. You know, a lot of times you might just hear platitudes from them. You know, they're just not aware of how their how their behavior actually impacts others. The next one is they're extremely envious of others, constantly looking at how other people are living, what they're doing, comparing themselves. And there's this underlying rage about it, underlying jealousy about it. They can't be happy for somebody else. You know, somebody else actually says something about, look at what I've done or look at what my child has done. Oh, that's just great. That's great for you. You know, they really can almost barely choke out a a congratulations for them that's actually sincere. They really can't be happy for someone else. The next thing is that they often gossip. They often triangulate. They even often pit people against each other. You know, they'll say things about this one to that one, and they'll say this one said this thing about that one so that they can get people to not like each other because they really want both of those people to rely on him or her. You know, they want to be the center of everything and they don't want those two people to be friends with each other. So they kind of gossip, but also want to divide people and keep people just friends or relying on them. That's that. The next one is they constantly need reassurance. How did I do? I want acknowledgement. Look at all the things that I did for you. You need to tell me how great I did. That's the next one. The next one is that they fixate on others. They fixate on other people and and what they might have done to them or their their misfortunes or you know they really they almost get like obsessed with other people and what's going on with them. This goes back to that comparison thing too. You know they're just so wrapped up and what's going on with other people and what's going on with this person, that sort of thing. It's just, it's, it's exhausting. The next one is that they, they change with whoever it is that they're around. And because they're constantly working hard to, to flatter or fawn to win favor or to be with whoever the next person is that they're going to win favor with and get the best supply around. It's always this game to see who they're going to get the next best supply around. And so it's, it's this chameleon-like behavior to sort of fawn or 
or be flattered by and working the room almost in a way, but trying to stay kind of stealth and because they don't want to get too much attention. They're trying to stay humble. They don't want to be the center of attention because they don't want to make it look like they're bragging. And so that's sort of the next one. The next one after that is that they gaslight you. They gaslight you constantly. All narcissists gaslight, but covert narcissists really love to gaslight. You know, they rewrite history to whatever version they want to rewrite history on. And they constantly try to make you think that you're crazy. We talked about that and you agreed, or they'll take pieces of conversations and work them in and conveniently try to make it seem like that was the version that was discussed, even though many times they know what was actually discussed or they know what was the intent or they know how things are supposed to be, but they they almost purposely twist things just to make you crazy just to have a conversation a certain way it's a it's a very exhausting way to live but it's 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 a gaslighting where it's it's a rewriting of history just to make you think that you're crazy or rewriting of facts just to make you think you're crazy the next one is an exaggerated sense of entitlement you know they don't feel like things should apply to them They feel superior. They feel like they should have a better situation than they do, or, you know, the rules shouldn't apply to them. uh, uh, The situation shouldn't apply to them. Why does this one have that one? And I don't, but yet they don't want to have to say it out loud. You know, it's just sort of under the surface. You know, you might know that this is how they feel, but the rest of the world doesn't know that that's how they feel. It's a smiling. It's like nothing is ever good enough for them. You can never satisfy them because nothing is ever good enough for them. The next one is that in some ways they admire the grandiose narcissist. They admire how the grandiose narcissist is so brash, is so confident, is just out there because they kind of want to be like that themselves. They, they attach themselves to people who they think are going to make them look more special through association. So they're always looking to see who they can attach themselves to, to make themselves appear more prestigious just by association. That's number 20. We're almost there. And the last one, 21, is they love to use guilt and shame to control you and to punish you. That's what they love to do. They want to make you squirm, but through guilt, through shame. Oh, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're leaving me here. It's okay. 
I'll be okay. I'm over here by myself. That's all right. I'll be fine. You know, that sort of thing. Guilt, shame to control you, to punish you. So I'm telling you, the word narcissist, it gets thrown around like candy. Here, narcissist for you, narcissist for everybody. But there are certain behaviors and personality traits that are definitely red flags for narcissism. So if you see any any of these for someone, it's safe to say this person is probably a narcissist. So this is a person who they have to be the center of attention. A lot of people have to be the center of attention, but you know, we're talking about a person who literally has to derive all of their value from external sources. They don't feel anything inside of them. Nothing. I'm not saying they don't have value. I'm saying they don't feel like they have any value inside. All human beings are inherently valuable. I'm talking about a person who doesn't feel like they have any value inside of them. All of their value is coming from outside of them. They feel totally and completely empty inside. That's what causes them to be very insecure, very, very insecure because everything is coming from outside sources, then everything is shifting constantly, right? If you're around them, you might want to help them feel valuable. You're pouring stuff into them all the time, but there's like a sieve in there. It's like a black hole. And so they, it's almost like they're starving, gasping for breath, desperate for air. They're in scarcity mode all the time. It can never be filled. It can never be filled. And so you're left feeling totally and completely starving. They're still empty inside. And it's this cycle that can never be broken. It can never be handled. All right. So. That's what's going on all the way at the end of the spectrum. Yes, it's a spectrum. You know, so at the end of the spectrum, you've got narcissistic personality disorder on one end. On the other end, you've got whoever you think your perfect human being is on the other end, the person who feels totally whole and complete and needs no outside, nothing to feel totally whole and complete. So, you know, Dalai Lama or Jesus or whoever you think is a perfect human being. Okay. And then the rest of us who vacillate somewhere in between are in between. So they always have to be the center of attention. You know, they're incredibly vain and obsessed with their appearance and they're Their self-worth is all based on external factors. And so because of that, they're very easily slighted. And, you know, the minute they're slighted at all, they're extremely triggered, constantly triggered. You you never know what's going to set them off, right? You know, and, and that triggering is that narcissistic injury, which could cause narcissistic rage to come flying out. And so this is a person who also coupled with all of this has no empathy, literally no ability to have any empathy for anybody else. Because think about it, if all you're thinking about is survival all the time, then you can't think about anybody but yourself, because it's all you can see is you all the time. It's very difficult to see past yourself if all you can see is you, all right? And that's why they don't have any empathy for anybody else. Now, their self-worth is based on these external factors. 
but it's it's kind of a double thing going on. There's like this, which we call narcissistic supply. This, the supply sources can be what I call diamond level supply, which is how they look to the world. And that is impressive friends, amazing cars, houses, the best of everything, you know, how they look, how they look on social media, the number of likes they're getting, how they, how successful they are professionally, excessive admiration, adulation, all those things, their accomplishments. So they're constantly bragging about their accomplishments. Now, covert narcissists may not tend to brag about themselves as much. They might tend to be more of like the victim mentality. Oh, you know, woe is me. But they're still every bit as much the narcissist. But they might tend to be a little bit more humble about it. They they might tend to be more passive aggressive and they might present themselves in the form of a humanitarian or something like that, but there's still every bit as much of a narcissist, okay? They still have an inflated sense of self-importance. They still feel like they should have some kind of special treatment about them. Still very, very manipulative. All narcissists are extremely manipulative. They think that they have to manipulate in order to get what they want. They lie constantly. They stretch the truth. They withhold information. They withhold information about the truth. They withhold sex. They withhold resources. They withhold compliments. There's all sorts of things that they withhold, but they can be extremely charming when they want to be. They can love bomb you. They can future fake you. Oh, things are going to get better. You'll see you know, when they need to be, but everything is always a manipulation. So these are some of the signs that you've seen. Now, if any of you have seen any of these so far, all right, so these are signs that near certainty definitely guarantee somebody has narcissism. So if you've seen these, definitely stay away. Stay away. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash negotiate. All right. So very egocentric. I think the world should revolve around them. Extremely sensitive to criticism. As I mentioned, they will definitely lash out if things don't go their way. They can go crazy over the smallest of things because, you know, even if you use a certain tone, 
that they they find to be a, a slight, I, I always say narcissists hear tones like dogs hear whistles, like you didn't even use it to you. Nobody heard a tone. They heard tone. Very jealous of others, extremely jealous, extremely jealous of others. Competitive. Everything's got to be a competition, threatened by other people's success many times. Always have to be right, especially in social situations. You know, you can't take away from them in a social situation at all, even the smallest of things in social situations, because, you know, especially in front of people that they respect, that could be the worst possible thing that you could do. Uh, And, you know, if things don't go their way, they can become defensive, angry, tantrums even sometimes. Those are some of the things that you can see. And, And if you see some of these things, you definitely probably dealing with a narcissist because normal, regular, reasonable, you know, say non-narcissistic people, they don't tend to need this like this. You know, you can just tell, you can feel it in your gut. You know, I have people around me, they call it the spidey sense. You can feel it on the back of your head. You can feel it, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. You can definitely tell when it's happening, right? And and I know for for me, I could tell when I had a narcissistic business partner, I was, you know, you, you see the signs, you start seeing things not adding up, you like some lies happening there and, you know, projection, deflection, lying, denying, you know, it's somebody else's fault, never their fault. You start to see things happening and, you know, what happens is you start looking the other way. And if you start finding yourself making excuses for them, don't do that. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Don't make excuses for them. Get out of there. Go flying out of there like your hair is on fire because it's not going to get better. So it's time for you to spot narcissists in less than a minute flat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the signs that you are dealing with a narcissist. The first one is that they need to be the center of attention. Now, there's a number of different ways that they can show up as being the center of attention. It's not always, hey, look at me. I'm the best. I'm the brightest, you know, boasting, bragging. I used to think that that was how they always showed up. I was wrong. Believe me, when I was dealing with a covert narcissist, which was a female business partner that I had, and I've been dealing with narcissists for a long time, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I was a target of one that I really realized this and really started to be on this mission to help you. And that's when I started this YouTube channel that I really realized how horrible and heinous narcissists could be. They can show up as wanting the center of attention by presenting themselves as the victim, as poor me. Oh, life is so awful. And, you know, and then they manipulate people in that way. And that's actually way more toxic than the look how great I am type of narcissist, the type that shows themselves to be a, oh, this person wronged me or, you know, I can never get my way or the type that guilts people into doing things. They're actually, I think, far 
worse, far stealthier, really a smarter type of narcissist. I want to say smarter, but a savvier type of narcissist than the, the boasting one that everybody kind of knows and can spot more readily. So you got to be very careful about that other type of narcissist that also wants that that attention and has that need to be that center of attention, but goes about it in a different type of way. So you can spot them right away as well, but they're going about trying to get be the center of attention in a different way. They're presenting themselves as the victim. But again, they have this need to constantly be the center of attention. They're just putting themselves as the center of attention in a different way. They can also put themselves as the center of attention by immediately putting themselves the center of a crisis. Somebody is sick. Somebody is hurt. You know, they know to put themselves there right away. But you got to look to see Is this person only showing up if there's sort of like a photo op or the right people are watching, you know, like, you know, they're not necessarily helping if the right people aren't watching. That's the kind of thing that I've noticed about covert narcissists as well. They, you know, they have this need to be the center of attention. Are they not helping the people in the hospital or the cancer patient or whatever if they don't think they're going to get credit for it? That sort of thing. I know that sounds horrible, but that's what really happens with these narcissists. Okay. So that's number one. And by the way, if you are negotiating with a narcissist in any sort of situation and you're trying to figure out how to do it and you're you're not really sure what to do, I do have a free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet, which you can get at crushmydeal.com. And I encourage you to get it. It's a free ebook, crushmydeal.com. The second thing that you can do that you can spot, the second way that you can spot a narcissist is, you know, they're always going to be presenting as super charming, super persuasive, especially when they want to get something. They really know how to mirror you. They know how to look the part of charming, persuasive. They're usually well-groomed, good-looking, well-spoken, and they usually know how to read whoever it is that they want to get something from, especially at the beginning of a relationship. You know, they, they definitely know how to turn that on. But even as the relationship goes on, as the, that bloom is coming off the rose, if you're starting to come on to them and you're starting to realize, oh, you know what? Maybe I don't even want to be in this relationship anymore. They start to go, oh, well, let me snap this person back into my life. Then they, they pull you back in by turning that charm back on, by being persuasive again, by saying the things that you want to hear. And it's also known as future faking or something like that. And even after the relationship is over, they can come back in and turn that charm back on sometimes, which is sometimes known as hoovering. They know how to 
Turn on that persuasiveness, turn on that charm. No one is more charming or more persuasive than narcissists. Okay, so they're incredibly, incredibly persuasive and charming. So that's the second thing. The next thing is they have a huge, huge sense, grandiose sense of self-importance. They believe that they're more important than anyone else. Not only do they think they're more important than anyone else, but they believe that they should be treated more importantly than anyone else. And they believe that they should be treated more specially than anyone else. That they, you know, should be the most special person in the room, that they should have special treatment. And so, you know, this is the person who will go into restaurants and expect the best table or expect, expect the best treatment or expect the best special menu, you know, send the, the steak back if it's not prepared in exactly the right way. I know for me, like I have been in situations where my husband and I have been with people who, you know, they send food back. I'm not talking about small things, but I'm talking about where they have mistreated wait staff and been talking down to wait staff and treated people in a horrible, horrible way. And I'm telling you, it is embarrassing. I was with another family one time where the the wife actually got up and left and demanded that their entire family all leave too, just because water wasn't brought to the table exactly when she wanted it and the way she wanted it and tried to stiff the family on you know, the, the wait staff on a bill and then ended up not tipping the wait staff. I mean, it was horrible and it was horribly embarrassing. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that they do. They expect special treatment. They expect to be treated uniquely. They expect to be, you know, catered upon, that sort of thing. And if they're not, then they take this as actual criticism sometimes, and they are extremely sensitive to criticism. So that's the next one. The next one is that they are extremely sensitive to criticism, overly sensitive to criticism, and they cannot handle being disagreed with in any way, shape, or form. Even if you're not disagreeing with them, sometimes you are actually just having your own own opinion about something. But if they see this as you disagreeing with them, then it becomes this massive, huge fight. It can be embarrassing at dinner tables. It can be embarrassing at parties. And, you know, they can actually cause issues at holidays, issues at birthdays, family parties, family reunions. Even if you didn't even mean anything, they're very, very easily slighted. You can be saying, I wasn't even saying anything about you. You can be saying, let's just agree to disagree. I was not even looking your direction. But a lot of times they can't handle that 
you know, this is where you see incidents of road rage or whatever, because you see these people who are highly, highly sensitive. And what's going on is that narcissistic injury is being triggered. It causes this narcissistic rage to come flying out. And there it is, right? And so if you see that, you know, you've spotted a narcissist, you've spotted that narcissist in one minute or less, right? And this is one of those signs that you are dealing with a narcissist. So we are heading down through the list and we still have many more, many more signs that you are dealing with a narcissist. Okay, the next one is that they need constant, constant admiration and affirmations from others. It's like, you can't say anything nice about anyone else, by the way. Like if you can just say, you could say something nice about the dog. Oh, the dog did a good job today in pet school. Did I do a good job? Did I do a good job today? You know, like they want constant affirmations, constant admiration. What about me? Did I do a good job? You know, you have to constantly be feeding that ego, that black hole that's going on inside of them. It's exhausting, quite frankly, to be around these people because you, you, you have to almost be constantly be thinking about their ego and how are they going to be taking things and how are they going to be handling it if you if you do this or if you do that. And and this is what you mean about this walking on eggshell thing, because if I talk to this person, how are they going to perceive this? Or if I show up in this car, how are they going to perceive that? You know, every single thing is is going to have to be filtered through how is this person going to be perceiving this? Because you have to be constantly thinking about this person's ego, right? But their need for affirmations and admiration is just constant. I remember one time I actually interviewed a secretary for a legal position, a legal secretary, and she flat out told me in the interview, I need lots of of admiration. I need lots of words of affirmation. And I remember thinking, oh, thank you for telling me straight up front because I don't want to have to be like on the hook for thinking about this all the time. Not that I don't give lots of praise to people, but I was like concerned that what if I don't give enough and this woman was going to be thinking that I wasn't giving enough and I, you know, it was like too much pressure for me. So I didn't end up hiring her just for that reason. Okay. So the next one is they're often manipulative, using, exploiting, you know, they take advantage of others. They want to use people. They're opportunists. These people see relationships as transactional. If I do something for you, what are you going to do for me? I'm not doing anything for you unless you're going to do something for me. You know, it's just everything is back and forth. 
You know, it's it's a using type of a relationship. I'm going to use you for whatever I can get out of you. And I'm assuming you're using me too. I'm manipulating you. You're going to manipulate me. It's a very mistrusting, distrusting type of world. And that's how they are in this world. Right. It's, it's difficult to be in a relationship with them and they lack empathy. You know, they don't actually really care about people because they're just constantly in this scarcity mode. You know, I don't have enough to give. And so I can't care about you because I'm in survival mode all the time. I don't have enough to think about. You know, it's like this pain. It's like if I'm starving, I can't think about you. So that's why they don't have any empathy. This is what it is that you're dealing with when you're dealing with a narcissist. And they're jealous. They're jealous all the time because of that. You know, they just, they feel like everybody else has more. And, and so they're in this, this world of envy constantly and, and looking to see what, if somebody else has more than they do. And if they do, then they're, they're jealous of that, you know, because they believe that they should be better than everyone else, right? The last few that I have are that they are arrogant. They can be very, very arrogant, extremely arrogant, extremely haughty, very difficult to deal with. Oftentimes they can be impulsive. They don't think about what the, it is that they're doing because all they can think about is right in front of their face. So what happens is that the people around them end up having to clean up their messes. You know, you end up being the responsible ones because they're just thinking about right in front of their face and, and they don't think about long term, long term issues, long term problems. And, and so they end up being very, very irresponsible types of people and they're preoccupied with these fantasies of success and these fantasies of what's going to happen and power and brilliance or beauty or ideal love a lot of times. And what I see in negotiations, by the way, is they will actually take themselves down to take you down. And that's the thing that you don't even realize, you know, by the way. I think a lot of times people are so afraid of narcissists, but they don't realize that they're actually horrible negotiators for the long term because they don't think about long term. They're actually very impulsive. They, they, they just think about how can I get this person right now? They only think in terms of black and white, good or bad. So they just want to get the person who is, they think they perceive to be the enemy, you know, so they want to take them down before they take you down or whatever, you know, you could take them down or whatever, you know, because now you're public enemy number one. And so they don't, they don't think strategically 
long term the way they should a lot of times. Those are some of the the ways that you can spot a narcissist in one minute. And that's why my slay methodology actually works better on narcissists than the way they negotiate because my slay methodology is strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focus on you. You know, you are actually better at being a, a, a negotiator against them than they are for themselves. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring, and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.